Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. TC, you ready to talk about it, man? Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Like, come on, somebody. I've been waiting for like three weeks to do that. I knew I was going to be preaching part three of this series. I'm like, man, I got to do an elephant noise because if I don't, I'm just going to miss my cue, my one and only chance. Hey, if we've not had the privilege of meeting, uh, if you haven't had the privilege of meeting this crazy guy, uh, my name is Mike Braddock. I'm the executive pastor here. And man, I just, I have the absolute honor and privilege today to continue the transforming power of Jesus with you through God's word. Everybody excited about God's word today? Man, I get excited about the word of God and what it has to say to you and I and how it really tries to sharpen us and grow us as believers. And uh, man, I'm just really excited to be here and continue this powerful series, Elephant in the Room. Did everybody have a good Thanksgiving, huh? A couple days ago. Yes. Anybody overeat turkey, tryptophan, all that craziness, kind of sleepy now? Yeah, yeah, I, I ate way too much. I had two plates and I was like, run it again, right? Let's do a third one. I regretted that terribly. But if you ask my wife, the best part of Thanksgiving being gone is that it's time for Christmas. Do we have any like avid Christmas people that have had their tree up since May? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Yeah, we put ours up like just a couple weeks ago. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, Christmas is crazy, especially Christmas shopping. It's wild. My wife and I were in Orlando for Black Friday with some friends of ours. And um, I honestly don't buy anything on Black Friday except for a cup of coffee. And I walk around and just watch people act berserk, right? They lose their mind on Black Friday. It's like, how many people can we like, can we push out of the way to get, uh, you know, this Xbox that's on sale? What they don't know is they have like seven pounds pallets of the Xboxes in the back of the store. It's like, it's the last one. They're like diving, sacrificing their body when they have a whole other pallet back in the warehouse. Yeah. Uh, so it's crazy. So we went at like 1231 o'clock. It was still bedlam. It was still wild. And I just sat back and I laughed. I was like, this is great. I get to sip coffee and watch people act a fool, but I didn't buy a single thing for Christmas shopping. Not a single thing. Is anybody else behind the eight ball with their Christmas shopping? Like I am like, I wait till the 24th of December before I buy my first gift, right? Yeah, so bad, so bad. But hey, if you're like me today and you've not bought a single Christmas gift, I've got some tips for you and some pointers for you of the top three things to not buy your loved one this Christmas, okay? The first one is this. Personal hygiene items, toothbrush, deodorant. You know why? Because what does that tell your loved one? You stink. Your breath stinks. You stink. You should fix that. Merry Christmas. <laughs> don't do that. Especially don't buy it for your wife or your husband. Like bad, bad, bad move. Do not do it. The second thing is this. A pet, a dog, a cat, a rabbit, or a fish. Like don't gift a loved one a pet. Unless it's like mom and dad talking about giving the kids a dog and you've been thinking about it for a while. But if you're like, hey, I love my cousin, I'm going to buy him a puppy. Your quick decision just led to a 10-year commitment for that person. And they've got to feed them. They've got to potty train them. They've got to take them out. Even if it's a fish, right? I had a betta fish growing up that lived to like 29 years old. Like he, He's still alive swimming in the plumbing of the city somewhere. Like he's still alive. Still alive, that fish. I guarantee you, he was bulletproof. 
The last thing, weight loss tools. Husbands, don't you march up Christmas Day with a stuffing or a stocking stuffer of a membership to Planet Fitness for your wife. Like you want to get slapped into next Christmas? Go ahead and do that. Go for it. Or maybe somebody was like, I just want the new Peloton so bad. But in six months, it's going to have so many pressed shirts hanging on it, right? It's going to become the best coat hanger you've ever purchased. But the sad part is you paid $1,800 for that coat hanger. Come on. Come on. So don't buy fitness equipment. It's cheaper to have a gym membership. But don't buy a gym membership. Let them self-surface. You know what? I think I'm going to get him. You know what, honey? I think you look great, but you should do that. Yeah, it's awesome, right? Don't ever be the one to gift that gift to a loved one on Christmas. So if those are bad gifts... What are good gifts? Here's what I believe. I think back at all the greatest gifts that I've gotten. One of my favorites is in my nightstand, and it's from my son, Ben, from, I believe, two years ago. He wrote a Christmas card for me when he was just learning how to write his name. So they bought a Christmas card with words already in it, and he wrote, Merry Christmas, love you, Ben. And he was still learning how to write his name. And instead of writing Ben, he wrote Bew, B-E-W, because he thought the N was a W. went up one too many times. Um, So it's Merry Christmas, love you, Love, Bew. And so I'm holding on to that because I think it's the cutest thing ever. He put his heart and soul into it and he was like, mommy, should I scratch it out? She's like, no, daddy's gonna love it. He's gonna love it. So I think the best gifts or the good gift that we can give someone are simply gifts that are given from the heart. Gifts that are given straight from the heart. Not out of obligation, like, well, we better buy your mom a gift or she's gonna be mad. Not out of fear, like, oh, if I don't buy the gift, they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna hate me or I should just buy them something or... Not out of greed to show off how much money you have, like, hey, I bought you a brand new car, but now you got to pay car insurance, right? Not out of greed, not out of like showing off, out of pride. No, from the heart. One that is thoughtful, that you put time into, and that you decide, hey, I'm going to set this apart. I'm going to give a gift that's right from my heart. And it'll mean so much more than just something you flippantly bought. And you know, as I'm thinking about this, as I'm peeling this idea back of what a good gift is, and I I think it's one from the heart, I I think it also kind of relates to the way that we give, give gifts as children of God. The way that we give gifts as Christians, as believers, as followers of Christ, is that we give good gifts because the Bible says it was modeled to us first because every good and perfect gift comes from who? From God, from Jesus, from above. So we give good gifts that are from our heart. And I believe that true generosity is a gift that comes from the heart. And so today I want to take this idea and I kind of want to work it in a different direction that we've been going the last couple of weeks in in part three of our Elephant in the Room series. And I want to speak from the idea of our best for the best. Giving our best for the best. And so I want us to take our Bibles, whether it's digital, you got to open your screen or open the page. We're going to go to Genesis, Genesis chapter four, Genesis four, right in the very front of the Bible. What we see here is the book of Genesis, the first chapter of Genesis, God creates everything and we move forward all the way to Genesis three where Adam and Eve come and the fall of humanity happens because Eve pulls a fruit from the tree and um, then sin enters the world and then from there, um, God moves to chapter four in the story where we meet Cain and Abel. And in the world we live in today, Cain and Abel, the story is most often used to protect our Second Amendment right to hold a gun, right? Well, if Cain killed Abel with a rock, then it's not a gun issue, it's a heart issue. Woo! 
okay, nobody ever heard that before? All right, so uh, that's awkward. Um, so there's a lot more wrapped up in that story. See, we talk about Cain killing his brother Abel, but we write off the first part of the story. We write off the first part of the story where we actually find out why Cain is such an angry person. So that's where we are today. We know very little about Cain, very little about Abel. All we know about Cain is that he is a farmer and that Abel is a shepherd. Up until this point, the son of Adam and Eve, the sons of Adam and Eve, one's a farmer, one's a shepherd. So let's hop into this passage, chapter four, verse three. It says, in the course of time, course of time, remember that, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Verse four, and Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Pause, let's stop there. So we see this is the first offering ever brought to the Lord in the Bible. The very first offering brought to the Lord. And Cain being a farmer, they didn't have money, they didn't have like Benjamins, like $100 bills, whatever, $20 bills. All they had was the harvest of their work. Cain being a farmer brought in some time, over an, an amount of time, brought some fruits as an offering to the Lord. And then Abel being a shepherd, they raise sheep. So Abel said, I'm gonna give you a living sacrifice of my firstborn sheep. It's very important that we see the delineation between the two in verse four and in verse three, that Cain brought an offering of some of the fruits, while Abel brought an offering of the firstborn or the first fruit of the womb of the sheep adding to the flock. Firstborn versus some. And we hop into verse four, B and five. It says, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. If you look at this passage, a lot of biblical scholars and historians have, have spent time arguing why did God not look on Cain's offering with favor as he did Abel's? And a lot of scholars believe that in this time period, the offering had to be a living sacrifice, hence why Abel's was favored, because it was a living sheep that was given, the firstborn living sheep. But if we read a little bit deeper into the Old Testament, past Genesis, we see three different passages of scripture that disassemble that perspective. The first one, Deuteronomy 18, the first fruits of your grain or your wine and of your oil and the first fleece of your sheep you shall give to him. Second Chronicles 31 says, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and all of the produce of the field. Nehemiah 10, 35 says, we obligate ourselves to bring the, that word again, first fruits of the ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year into the house of the Lord. So what's the issue? What's the issue between Cain and Abel's offering where Cain's was rejected while Abel's was accepted? What's the issue? It wasn't an issue with the category of the offering, Stay leaned in here. It was an issue with the priority of the offering. It was an issue of the priority. Back in Genesis 4, 3, Abel gave a firstborn, the first fruit of the litter of the sheep 
to the Lord and it was accepted, firstborn. But Cain gave some fruits, not first fruits, some fruits from his crops and it was not accepted. It wasn't the category, it was the priority. And here's the truth that we see here. Before Cain ever kills his brother and goes down as being this vicious man, here is the truth that we see. Our first fruits are our best fruits. First fruits are the best fruits, the most acceptable. It's the cream of the crop. So I was raised on an orange uh, produce farm. We had oranges, we had tangerines, we had um, grapefruit, we had lemons, we had all kinds of produce. And one thing that I learned is as soon as the greening came off of the produce and they were ready to pick, the first harvest was always the best because it was the longest. You could keep it the longest. It would come into ripeness much longer. It would stay ripe and sweet much longer. Um, it, it would ship better because it was still nice and firm. You could uh, run it through the protective, um, uh, the protective wax that would put it in the box, and then from there you send it off, and it would ship longer and last longer and be more durable. It was the cream of the crop. The first fruits pulled from the tree were the cream of the crop. But as it got closer and closer to the deadline for picking oranges, they became less and less stable. They became mushy and rotten and hard to handle without damaging the fruits because it lost its quality over time. So the first fruit is the, is the choice of the harvest. Why is this important when it comes to the offering that Cain and Abel gave? It's because Abel knew this truth, which is my first thought today. He knew that God deserves our best offering. Abel knew that God deserved his very best first offering. God deserved the firstborn sheep, not the second, the third, to figure out what he had left. He deserved the very firstborn, and he prioritized it to the Lord. You see, when it comes to giving of our resources, of our time, of our money, a lot of times we kind of look at it like Cain, and we say things like, God, I'll give to you and to the local church whenever I can. God, I'll, I'll, I'll do what you're asking me to do by giving from my excess, from my income, the Bible says. I'll, I'll do that when it's convenient for me. Once all the bills are paid and all the things are handled, I'll then give you what I can. God, I'll give you of what's left over. But church, is that what God deserves? Does he deserve leftovers? Does he deserve an offering out of what's, what's left? You know, I think of it this way. I think of maybe, um, I can think of two or three friends in my life personally that in a season gave me the shirt off of their back. A couple of them practically. <laughs> a couple of other ones, I was in a rough spot. I needed to be, to be pulled out of a bad lifestyle, a bad relationship. And these guys would come around me and they'd say, Mike, come on, God has more for you. You have to stop living like this. You gotta stop making those decisions. And if I took one of those people who bailed me out in one of my most dark seasons and came and made a way for me and provided for me and took me in and loved on me, and then five years later, I'm walking out of Publix and I had purchased this fresh, red, delicious, sweet apple. I know we're close to lunch. That's why I use so many adjectives right there. It's because I, I want you to salivate over how good this apple is 
right? Such a good apple and I have it in my basket and I'm walking out and I look over and I see one of those very friends who helped me when I was broken and I was in need and made a way for me when there was no other way. And I see them on on the side of the road sitting there hungry, cold, and homeless. And they said, Mike, hey, bud. How you been, man? Good? Yeah, yeah, me, not so good. I'm in a rough spot, man. I'm I'm hungry, I'm cold. I could really use a blanket. But mostly I'm hungry. I haven't eaten anything fresh in a couple of days. And, And I'm like, oh, man, I just bought this beautiful, juicy, delicious, sweet, ripe, red, delicious apple. Let me give it to you. Oh, but hold on first. Hold on. I'm a little hungry too. Dang, that's good, bro. Man, I'm a little hungry too. I'm actually about to go into a meeting and I don't want to go in there deprived of sugar. I'm getting a bite. Yeah, man. You're going to love this when I give it to you. You're going to love it. Trust me. You know what? I was actually about to go grab lunch, but let me just go ahead. I don't need to stop now. I'll be all right. I'm good. Here you go. You want it? How often do we treat our offerings to the Lord like that? We're like, Lord, I know you're asking for me to give my first fruit, untouched, unobliterated. But I got to pay that mortgage, man. I know I got to pay the mortgage. A new restaurant just opened in College Town, man. Let me hit that thing up right quick. Ain't much left here, man. Oh, I almost forgot, man. A new Avengers movie coming out. You know, that movie ticket is like $84. Come on, somebody. All right, Lord, here it is. Sure. And we've grown content with the one who's given it all and who has made a way where there seemed to be no other way for us. We've grown content with giving him scraps and handing him something we've chewed our part off of. Now, I know it's heavy. I mean, it's as heavy as your attention span was after you ate turkey three days ago. It's heavy, but it's the truth. But here's here's the situation. We either believe that God deserves our best first fruit offering or we don't. We either believe that it all belongs to him or we don't. And we get to a spot where we begin to consume the very thing that he's given us to be used and placed in his hand and trusted with for all the wrong reasons. Doesn't God deserve our best offering, church? You see, Abel got this. We're going to talk about how in a little bit, but Abel got this. As soon as that first sheep came out, he said, it's not mine, it's the Lord's. And whatever else comes, I'm okay with it because I know my God is faithful to complete all that he begins. Never have I seen the righteous forsaken or a seed beg for bread, and he won't start now. So I'm willing to take of my first and give it to him. And then from there, we'll sort out the rest. 
You see, I'm digging into this and I'm spending time with this this week and I'm reading about this and I ran across some really simple theology that I want to share with you guys that I hope clarifies why God will view anything that's not first as scraps. The first one here is uh, God cannot sin. This is the nature of God that he is flawless. He has the inability to sin. Another theological statement is that God cannot lie because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if he is truth all-encompassing, he is impossible to have the ability to lie. God cannot change. The principle of immutability is what they call that. Because in order for him to have a need to change, he would have to get better and God can't get better, he's already to full potential best. So God cannot change. God cannot think, because why do we think? To figure things out, but God already has it figured out. He's all knowing, he can't think, because he knows. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God's never had a humdinger, that's what my grandpa calls it. He's never had a, well, would you just look at that? Because it's impossible to surprise a sovereign God. It's impossible that something could could occur to him out of the blue. But here's a heavy one. God cannot and will not be second. It's the principle of preeminence. It's even a commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. God cannot and will not be second. And that is what we see in Genesis 4. It wasn't that God wouldn't accept Cain's offering. He couldn't because it wasn't Cain's first. You see, God cannot act outside of his character. He cannot accept being second. And let's look at Cain's reaction in verse five. He says this. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to him, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You see, it wasn't an offering problem for Cain. It was a sin problem. And what sin was crouching outside of his door? It was the sin of greed. It was the sin of greed that this is all mine. It's all mine. It all belongs to me that led to his destruction of not being blessed and favored by God. And if you see this multiple times through scripture, there's a book right before the book of Revelation called the book of Jude. It's one chapter, one page, very, very short. Jude, who's the brother of of James, half-brother of Jesus, writes in the 11th verse, it says, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. In one scripture, there are three examples of people who fell to the toils of greed for their gain that led to their destruction of their life. But that second line, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. For the sake of gain, Cain walked away from the option to be blessed by not giving his best, by not giving his first. Instead, he chose greed. 
And here's, here's the truth, church. God doesn't deserve scraps. He deserves our best. We have to fight the temptation to walk in the ways of Cain and go after the money and the resource and the time and the treasure and to use and utilize that for our personal gain over God's call for our resource. So the big question is, how many times have we struggled and walking in the way of Cain with our giving and saying, God, me first, you can have whatever's left. And not only if we choose to give God our first fruits, will we see that God deserves our best offering through this passage, we see that, but we also see that giving our best offering will shape our attitude. It'll shape our attitude. It'll change the way we see things. You see, if we give our best offering to God, it begins to shape our attitude from a place of greed and gain to gratitude and generosity. Begins to shift us. Pastor Ryan did such a great job week one of the series talking about why do we give out of generous hearts is because we are thankful. We have gratitude for what God has done in our lives. But if we truly believe this Bible... If we truly take the Bible cover to cover, not the excerpts that fit our agenda, then we trust that when David said in Psalm 24 that the earth is the Lord's and everything therein, the world and all who live in it, if we take that and we have the true realization that nothing that we have is ours, then our attitude will begin to shift if we realize that even ourselves, every creation, including ourselves, our body, our lives, not only will we live different, because we're not gonna subject something that's God's into a system that's not, but we're gonna give different. We're gonna walk away from greed and what the world tells us, stack that cash, make that money, build that retirement. It's more important than a legacy of generosity. And we're gonna say, no, generosity will unlock that resource for me. I choose to be generous first so that everything will be added to me after the fact. You see, Abel got this. He knew that his flock was not his, it was God's. But Cain didn't get that. He thought that his harvest was his, then God's. So therefore, he walked away from the blessing. Church, we have to realize we're just managers. We're just stewards of what God has given us. And it's a lot easier for God to get something through us when we realize it's not ours in the first place. That every good and perfect gift comes from where? Above. It's given to us to manage and to steward here on the earth. Everything changes when we realize, especially our attitude. So here's the question. Do you acknowledge and trust God's faithfulness enough to offer back to him what's already his? Church, it's not ours. It doesn't become as sacrificial when we realize that it doesn't belong to us. That the $50,000 truck you have sitting in the parking lot is not yours when the children that you have worked so hard to raise in the fear and the admonition of the Lord don't belong to you, not only does it give us a new perspective, it gives us less pressure to realize it's God's. It's in his hands. That the house or apartment that you live in is yet but a tool in the hands of God to give you dwelling and rest to do the work of God's kingdom. See, the attitude shift, the perspective shift that comes when we realize that it's not ours, but it's his. 
It all belongs to him. And the greatest way to overcome the greed that stripped Cain of God's favor is to walk in the gratitude that unlocked Abel's blessing. Step away from greed and step into gratitude and generosity because an attitude of gratitude will choke out the weeds of greed. Reminder what Paul said in 2 Corinthians to the church of Corinth. He said, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound, abound, which means excess in every good work. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Church, we have to realize generosity is not obedience. Generosity is obedience plus one. God already calls forth a first fruits offering from you and I. He already calls forth our best and says, hey, that I require of you as an act of faith and an act of gratitude to give back to me what is already mine, just a percentage, a slight piece. It doesn't become generosity until it exceeds that. But we should live in such a way where we're lacking nothing, knowing that it's all in God's hands anyways, to where our generosity draws and builds thanksgiving within our hearts. Giving our best shouldn't come from obligation, but it should come from the overflow of thanksgiving that we have for God. And our attitude will shift when we begin to realize that it's not ours, it's all his, and he gets his first. But not only will our attitude shift, but our faith will shift also. You see, Abel's offering as a shepherd giving his first and best sheep to God was not only an act of generosity and gratitude with a good attitude, but it was also an act of faith. If there's one thing that, that I learned in studying about sheep is that when, I, when a mama sheep gets pregnant, there's no guarantee in the quantity and quality of her womb. How many sheep will come out that'll be healthy? There's a high mortality rate when sheep are longer away in the delivery process but it's the first sheep who's always the best and healthiest. And so Abel said, I have no guarantee of what comes on the other side of my first fruit, but I will give it willingly because I know God is faithful. Not only am I gracious and willing, but I have faith that God will make up the difference of what's left. No guarantee of the quantity or quality of what's to come from the sheep's womb. I will give my firstborn, my first fruit offering First, because he was at a place with God where he gave his best first and quickly, without delay, without regard, full of generosity, full of gratitude, and God would continue to bless him for that. And this leads me to my final idea today. Not only does God deserve our best offering, not only does our best offering shape our attitude, but our attitude is the evidence of our faith. You see, it's all connected. God deserves our best offering. And our best offering begins to shift our attitude. And when our attitude is shifted, then our attitude is the evidence of our faith in Jesus. Abel's evident faith was so impactful in the kingdom of God that it was mentioned by the writer of Hebrews hundreds of years later. 
Who wants to have an impact that lives hundreds of years beyond you? An impact of generosity that lives far beyond your grandchildren. The writer of Hebrews, many scholars call the definition of faith, Hebrews 11, says this, you probably know it. It says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. By faith, we, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen is not made out of what is visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. What an impact. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly Seek him. You see, Abel's offering didn't come from fear, obligation, condemnation, pride, greed. It came from faith. Faith that God would bless and reward him because he had been earnest with his first fruits. He had sought him time after time, no matter what. And he knew that God would continue to bless him time after time, no matter what. And this can be the hardest part of the first fruit offering, if I can be really honest with you. Is that when God asks something of you that is your first and your best, you give that and you don't know what's on the other side. Because if we did, it wouldn't be faith, it would be a wise decision. If we had full knowledge, why would we need faith? Faith comes in the unknown. And sometimes giving your first fruit to God, whatever that looks like, whether it's your time, your talent, your resources, your treasure, When you give it to God, you don't know what's on the other side of that for you. But there's one thing that I do know is that God's not gonna ask his kids to do things he's not familiar with. God's not unfamiliar with the principle of giving first fruits. He's actually an expert. He's actually highly experienced in giving first fruits. You see, God gave the the greatest first fruit in the history of mankind. Let me remind you today what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. It says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If you pull that apart in the Greek, it says, for those who have fallen to death or sin. Get this, Jesus was God's tithe to humanity. He freely gave his son knowing full well that we would beat him and we would mock him and we would kill him and we would reject him and we would doubt him and we would walk away from him and we would would be angry at him and we wouldn't understand him at times but God still said you can have him. Before you sinned last night, last week, last year, God had it made up in his mind, I will still give Jesus for them. Because Jesus had to be a tithe to humankind to redeem us from the wages of sin. Romans 5, 8, one of my favorite scriptures says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we had it figured out, while we were an absolute mess, God still said, go. Go. You know why? Because God knew something. 
is that what he gave first had the ability to redeem the rest. What he chose to give first in Jesus redeems the rest. And he can do the same for us if we choose to put what's first first and give our best to the very best, which is God. If we give our first, God can redeem our rest. And it's not something he's not willing to do. He gave his first one and only son for us. But you see, church, giving our first fruits and our best offerings to the Lord requires some discipline. Yeah, it's practical. We've gone through some spiritual, some scriptural. Let's talk practical for a moment. Maybe prioritizing a first fruits offering to the Lord means going and planning center on the church center app and setting an automated donation to go out every time you get paid and the amount that God asks you to give, which for a mature believer and somebody who's walked through it, I'm in a spot now where I, I give 10% without question because it's what God says is obedience in the word. Maybe you're just walking this thing and figure this thing out. That's okay. Take a step. Go to another level. Like maybe, maybe it's not going from a tipper to a tither right away. Maybe it's, hey, I know I can do my first $25 off the top of my paycheck. I can give it to the Lord. But just make sure it's your first. Make sure it's your first. Automate the important, right? If we can automate our power bill, surely we can automate our tithe. We can automate our gifts to the Lord. This one's gonna sting a little bit. Sometimes being faithful with our first fruits offering means being frugal with our final fruits. People all the time are like, Pastor Mike, I'd love to tithe, man. I just can't afford to do it. But you can afford to eat out 26 times a month? Pastor Mike, I, I, you know, I, I just, I don't, I don't think I can make it happen. I just, I, I don't, I don't know if I could do it. But my Lord, like your outfit is nice, bro. Like your shoes are $150. I mean, that's a cheap pair of tennis shoes today, right? I hit the clearance rack so you can be faithful to the Lord. Maybe the very increase God's trying to get to you by giving first fruits is showing you how to be frugal with the rest and to be content with not having to just live lavish and live paycheck to paycheck. But sometimes being faithful with the first means being frugal with the rest. Maybe it is, it's taken the step that Pastor Ryan introduced last week. And like, I wanna relieve all the tension I'm the executive pastor here. I've been executive pastor for a few weeks and we just sat in a budget meeting and me and Wes and Ryan and went through the budget. Man, God's faithful to our church. <laughs> we got a generous church. And this right here is not because we want something from you. It's in the seat back pocket in front of you. It's a 90 day giving challenge that if you tithe faithfully for 90 days and God does not increase or bless you, we'll refund every penny back to you. And we've got a great tracking system. So it's not gonna be skimpy. We're not gonna charge you taxes off the side of it. We're gonna do it the right way. But it's not because we want anything from you. It's because we want everything for you. And we know that if you put God first, you have got no option to not walk under the blessing and favor of the Lord. There's no option for you not to walk under the favor of God, none. And so if you feel called and stirred, maybe to take a step up the ladder, maybe you've never given a, anything to the Lord by way of an offering or your time or your resources. Maybe you're an initial giver today. Check that, fill out your information, drop it in a giving box. Maybe God's calling you to take 
the step all the way up to legacy giver, which is giving your tithe and then abundantly above beyond that to further the kingdom around the world through the ministry of TC. Our old staff and board have agreed to take a step and we're taking a step this year. Out of faith for some of us, we're taking a big step because we know that this church doesn't want nothing from us and we work here. This church wants everything for us because God is faithful. But the greatest discipline that is required of you and I is the discipline of living in the realization and the repetitive reminding of ourselves that none of this belongs to us anyways. The Bible says, and Paul said, that we are just as filthy as rags but God, but through Christ who entrusts us with a calling, with a purpose, with things, with a house, with a car, with kids. None of this belongs to us, church. And we need to find a way to have the discipline to repetitively remind ourselves to the realization that none of this is ours, that it all belongs to the Lord. Knowing that he gave first his first fruits to humanity, we can easily remind ourselves to be disciplined to give first of our first fruits back to him. And like I said in the beginning with a good Christmas gift, a good first fruits and the best gift that we can give to God is one from the heart, not obligation. I didn't come here to condemn anybody today. I'm just trying to show you that God has so much more for you and your family. And all he's asking is for you to take a step. Whether it's a step or it's a leap, he's wanting you to take a step. Would you guys stand with me this morning as we close? One thing I've learned about the heart of God is that if he has our heart, he will have our yes. No matter the cost, no matter the discomfort, no matter, uh, no matter the inconvenience, God has our heart, he'll have our yes. Someone one time asked me, what does obedience look like? And I told them the definition of obedience in my eyes is saying yes to God before he ever asks the question. So what is it the Holy Spirit's asking of you today? Is it to be more faithful with the first fruits of your time and not bringing a scrap offering of being exhausted to the house of the Lord, but coming into the house of the Lord with expectation that God can use you to change and transform this community? Is it the first fruits maybe of a gift that you've been sitting on? Maybe you've been sidelining on a gift for so very long. And maybe today the Holy Spirit speaking to you saying, hey, use the fruits that I have entrusted you with by that gift or that talent to step up and to sow that into a local church. And if it's this one, praise God. But let's get off the bench and use the first fruits of our, of our gifts and our talents. But maybe today that, that, that step for you, maybe your yes looks like saying, Lord, I know I haven't put you first by way of giving. Quite frankly, I, I, I've been giving my seed to Olive Garden <laughs> instead of to the kingdom of God. And Father, I, I, I repent and my step looks and my yes looks like saying, Father, I'm gonna give you back yours first. And then I'm gonna make it happen with the rest because you're gonna redeem the rest as soon as I give my first. But maybe that's not your step today. Maybe when I was talking about Jesus being the tithe for humanity to redeem us from a life that was damned by sin, maybe that's your first yes today. It's to say, I've not lived a life 
where I have felt the blessing of God at my back. It looks like everything that, that is around me is everything but blessed. My marriage is falling apart. My relationships are falling apart. My kids are lost their mind. My money is tighter than it's ever been. Well, my job is terrible. I can't seem to catch a break. But you've not given your first fruit yes offering to the Lord and his call for your life. And if that's you today, church, anybody under the sound of my voice, if that's you today, I cannot urge you to say yes to that first. Because what God can do is he can take the life you have now and with your yes, he can redeem the rest. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I, I, I don't, nobody's looking around. I don't wanna embarrass anyone, but if that is you today, and God is asking you to make your first fruit of yes to him in a life to follow Jesus, I want you to just quickly slip up your hand right in this moment. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's looking around. Come on, if that's you and you wanna give your life to Jesus today, the one who carries it all. Yeah, I see that hand, yep. I see that hand, yep, yep. I see that hand, yes, yes. Come on, church, pray this prayer with me. Everyone in the room under the sound of my voice, say, Jesus, thank you for being my first fruit offering. Jesus, thank you for redeeming my life. I accept you here and now as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn and sin no more and to sow my first fruits back into your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Come on, church, would you give it up for those three people who said yes to Jesus today? Come on, there's a party in heaven today because they said yes with the first fruits of their yes to Jesus. And we're gonna leave in just one moment, but I wanna pray over everyone in this room today. Because I believe that if we can grasp this message, here's the deal, you're gonna leave today and be like, that, that, that Mike guy, he's really on one today and he's all up in my business. Who's to tell me how I spend my money? The enemy is gonna make you not like the words that I've said. But let me tell you, God just wants to get so much more to you than you're, you have in your hands right now. And this is how it happens, is when you lay down and prioritize the whole apple of your first fruits. You say, Jesus, it's all yours anyways. I give you what's yours so you can redeem what's left. So if you're comfortable, would you just put your hands out like this? This is just the posture of receiving prayer. I'm not gonna pray nothing weird over you. I'm not making you make a covenant or a commitment right now. But if you would do that, bow your heads and just, and just pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I speak blessing over Transformation Church like never before, God. As they take steps towards faithfulness with the first fruits of their life, God, through their talents, their treasures, their resources, God, I pray blessing over them in Jesus' name, God. As I was preparing, I thank you, God, that you showed me that the rain that is outside today is gonna be evident of the rain that's coming in their life when they leave here today. Making a decision to put you first, God. As they sacrificially give out of generosity, out of love, out of obedience, God, I pray, Lord, that prodigal sons and daughters would come home. God, I pray for promotions to come to their jobs. In Jesus' name, God, I pray for, God, for debt cancellation to happen. In Jesus' name, God, I speak the blessing over this church, God, as they move into a place of faithfulness. God, be faithful in who you are. Be faithful in what you said. God, that you will bless the cheerful 
giver. Let them give cheerfully and abundantly today, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, can you give it up for Jesus one more time today? Hallelujah. Don't forget if you filled out the giving uh, challenge card, you can put it in the black boxes in the foyer. And if you're new here with us today, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, I would love to meet you in the Connect Center directly after service. And ladies, don't forget Friday night, Christmas movie night. I love you guys so much. I'll see you next week. Stay dry. I love you guys so much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.